Good morning. Good to see you guys. Wow, that was thumping, that, uh, that intro. We, uh, that was the uh, stop talking wake up call, right? Uh, right there. Hey, good to see you guys this morning. My name is Harley Rathel, and I am the campus pastor of our Bannock Burn View to Kyle campus. And really glad to uh, have you here with us this morning. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I'd love to have that opportunity at some point. So feel free to stop me or shake my hand or whatever. I'd love to get to meet you. I'll try to get out to the lobby um, after the service, but would really love to have that opportunity. Um, Before we jump into uh, looking at God's Word together, there's two things I need to let you know. The first is this. uh, We as a church are hoping and praying that whether you're here for a first time or whether you've been with us for quite some time, that you would be seeing this as a good thing, this gathering of God's people here in this area, and that you would be inviting others to come and participate and be a part of our our church congregation. But we also realize that coming to a church gathering isn't always what somebody's up for doing, like whether that's a neighbor or a coworker or a family member, they may not be very open to an invite to something like this. But they may be open to something more like what we're planning to do for Christmas. So for Christmas, what we're working on figuring out is on Christmas Eve, we are going to do an outdoor carols service. We're we're risking the weather, right? It's Texas, so it could be beautiful and hot or it could be freezing and icing. But uh, we're going to do an outdoor service in Buda, downtown Buda. Um, and we're going to call it Carols on Main, and I'll get you more details in the coming weeks. But I just wanted to let you know that because you can start to be thinking and praying about that event, but also maybe thinking about if there is somebody that you'd like to invite to come along and participate in that. We're going to keep it really brief. It'll be late in the afternoon, just kind of on sunset. Our plan is to get everybody together. We'll have some hot drinks. We'll keep it really simple, sing some carols together. We'll do candlelight, all of that sort of thing. And our hope is that it be a time to really bring the community together to uh, think about Christmas, Christmas and think about the season, okay? So that's happening Christmas Eve. It's easy to remember that date. Um, so I encourage you to be thinking and praying about that. The second thing I need to let you know is that our slides that we put together, I'm going to adjust this, um, our slides that we put together each week uh, didn't export through. So there's not going to be anything on the screen uh, for us today. And that means that I would encourage you, if you're able, with the key scriptures that we're reading today, and there'll be actually a couple of them, to, uh, to open up maybe your mobile device, if you don't have a physical Bible, and, and just read along the scriptures with us. And, and we won't have particular points on the screen, but um, that doesn't mean that we can't glean. You guys are, are big people. You can figure out following along without having prompts on the screen, right? Are we good with that? So uh, anyway, I just wanted to encourage you um, that we were uh, to, to read along in a scripture. And by the way, if you're like, I don't know how to open a Bible on, on your phone. If you open Google and put in Genesis 1, it will bring up a passage that we're reading. That's how, I mean, that's how easy it is to find Bible passages. So again, if you'd like to follow along, I would encourage that. Okay, with that said, now that you're thinking about Bible verses and Christmas plans and all of that, I really do want to ask God to lead us through this time and to still our hearts from any distractions. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to simply pray again acknowledging that I believe God is here in this room and also acknowledging our need for God to lead us through this time together. There are notes that I've prepared, but I'm praying that God's Holy Spirit would speak to every person in this room here today. 
And so as we just pause, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And that's just to focus our thoughts on God for a moment here. Let's do that. God, we want to be quick to admit that life gets busy and perhaps even overfull. But in this moment, God, would you still our busy hearts and would you speak? God, take away distractions and speak to every person in this room. Lord, we come to this moment from a myriad of different places. Wherever we're at, would you speak to us, please? Thank you. Amen. The pace that you and I live our lives matters. And when I say it matters, I mean it, it really matters. You see, if we live our lives too slow, too relaxed, too chill, there is a chance that we would get towards the end of our lives, look back and realize we really haven't ac accomplished much of anything. That's one scenario. On the opposite end, there is a chance that if we live too fast, too busy, too strained, that we will burn out, that we'll go down in flames. And I think that all of us can see in our lives and experiences examples of both of these things. You and I know people who don't seem to care about lifting a, a finger to do anything in life. I, I imagine that all of us have met people like that, that are just really not wanting to do any sort of work or engagement in life in general. And there's a, there's a sad and yet somewhat comical Bible verse that talks about that. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you. It's found in Proverbs chapter 19, and it says this, the slacker, as in the person who doesn't really care about life, buries his hand in the bowl. He doesn't even bring it back to his mouth. Now, that's kind of funny, right? Like it's talking about a guy who is so lazy, so allergic to work that he can't even bring his, his hand back up to his mouth. That's not a good thing. On the other end, you and I also know people who are completely overworking themselves. I imagine you can think of people in your life and experience that you know that are like that. They're always going, they're always moving, they're always doing something, striving and never stopping. They're the sort of person that if you get a chance to catch up with them, if you get a chance to catch up with them, you feel tired just talking to them. You know the type of people that I'm talking about. And yet all that they're striving for and working towards can be gone in an instance. Whether they're working for wealth or security or for the next promotion or whatever it may be, all of that can be gone in an instant. Again, there's a, a scripture that talks about this in the Proverbs. In chapter 23 in the Bible, it says this, Do not toil, that's a good descriptor of that type of person, to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist, as in be smart enough to stop. When your eyes light on it, on wealth, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle towards heaven. If these two extreme, uh, extremes that we're talking about here are like two ditches, then what we need to do is avoid both of them. Last week, we addressed the first ditch, talking about work. So we talked about how being lazy wasn't a good thing and how actually work is a good thing. 
that work is something that God created and gave to humanity for the flourishing of all of His creation, and how work is something that we should embrace and not despise. And that can be a challenge for us at times, but that is what God calls us to. In fact, if I were to summate what we talked about last week, there's actually another scripture that I think really captures that in Colossians chapter 3. This may be one that you've heard before. It says this, And whatever you do, in work or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So whatever we do, our work, our jobs, our efforts and our energies, we are to do it with thanksgiving in our hearts. So laziness is one ditch that we need to, it's a dangerous ditch that we need to avoid. But so too is the ditch on the other side of the highway of life, which is the ditch of burnout, of overworking. And what we discover as we look at God's word is that God doesn't just care about our work. He also cares about the pacing of our lives. And this shouldn't surprise us because God's Word has a lot to say about lots of different things, lots of different subjects. It is a guide. It is a lamp to us as we walk at the the pathway of life. Uh, Lately, I've been buying a number of different products because we've moved into a house. And when you move into a house, there's typically things you need to buy, like, I don't know, appliances or furniture or whatever it is. What What do products typically come with? They come with something called a manual, right? Or a, if you want to use more, I guess, uh, a better language, the, the, they would call it a quick start guide. I don't know about you, but I have the habit of grabbing that and throwing it to the side and trying to figure out how that thing works. Like, that's typically what I do. But that manual is there for a reason, because what it does is it describes for us the way that that product best operates, And we are designed beings with a manual of sorts. God's Word is a manual. Now, first and foremost, this is about God. It's not about us. This is a book that tells us about God and about the world around us. But it certainly does also tell us about ourselves, how we best operate. And one of the things that this book prescribes is, yes, work being a good thing. But second to that, and what we're going to look at today, is the antidote to burnout to overwork. And so rather than me describing what that is, let's just go ahead and read and see what it says. So we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 1, and this is where I encourage you to pull out a Bible or your mobile device and to look up Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to go to the very last verse of the first book of the Bible, which is Genesis chapter 1. See how much I'm at the first page, or I guess I'm going to the second page here. We're going to read the last verse of chapter 1, which is verse 31. And then we're going to read on into the first few verses of chapter 2. So I encourage you to read along with me. It says this. And by the way, God's just been doing His work of creation. And it says this in verse 31. God saw all that He made, and it was very good. Everything came, and then, sorry, evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. By the seventh day, God completed His work that He had done. And He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it He rested from His work of creation." So what we're reading about here is the fact that God has created, and what He's created is not just good. What is it? It is very good. 
Okay, so we're clear here. There's, there's no sin. There's no corruption in the world at this point. It's a very good creation. And then God does something that should make us really kind of feel very curious in that God does something that doesn't really make sense in that He rests. Now, the reason that doesn't make sense is because from what we understand in the rest of the, the Bible, God doesn't get tired. God is actually all-powerful. The, the fancy word for that is He is omnipotent. And what that means is that He doesn't ever get tired. And so when it says that God rests, why is God resting? That should be a question in our minds. God re- is resting because His work is completely finished. It's to show us that it's done that it's, it, it's finished. In fact, if you look through those verses that we read, you'll see that word completed coming up several times in there. So God is resting because His work is completely finished. And I believe that He's also resting and reflecting to set an example for us. Because unlike God, we need rest. Can I get an amen to that? We need rest, right? There's physical evidence that God designed us to need rest. The best cue that we have that that's true is what? It's our sleeping. All of us need sleep. You can go and go and go. You can play video games all night or you can work a double shift or whatever it is, but ultimately you are going to need to rest. You're going to need to sleep. By the way, let's just clarify something right here, and that is that rest is more than just sleeping. Sleeping is a part of resting, but it's more than that. So the antidote to burnout, to overworking that keeps us out of that ditch, if you would think about it that way, is rest. And in a somewhat broken way, even the world around us understands that. Lately, I've seen this ad pop up several times, and it's this lady, and she's like got everything together, right? She's cleaning her house, she's doing all her stuff, and and it's showing off like how amazing she is, and the voiceover comes in and says, how does she do it all? You know, this, this voice comes in and then it zooms in, the, the, the camera zooms in on a mattress. Like it's because she's resting so well. Like this is the, the, the clue that it's giving us. And so when we read this and it's talking about rest, we should remember that rest is very important. Another thing that we should realize is that work and rest are both things given before sin comes into the world, before the fall happens. Now, we talk about the fall in church. What is the fall? Well, that's the moment in Genesis 3, the very next chapter, where sin entered the world and it distorted all of God's very good creation. It corrupted everything. It corrupted humans and the creation around us. The fall impacted people. All of a sudden, we became self-centered and sinful. And what that means is that humans, from that moment onwards, have thought things. They've said things, they've done things that do not measure up to God's moral perfection. Sin came in and made us that way. It also, sin sin and the fall impacted our work. Like we talked about last week, all of a sudden it became hard to work. Work wasn't a blessing. It wasn't something that we enjoyed anymore. And in a way, it became overly important to us. The fall also impacted even our resting. In general, we don't like to rest. And we don't really know how to do it well. In fact, we've got all of these medications and things to try and help us to rest and to sleep. If we fast forward from this moment in history that we're looking at here in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, quite some time to the time of Moses, what we find 
in the time of Moses and the people of Israel is quite interesting because God is engaging in a rescue plan to heal his creation. You see, one of the good things that the Bible tells us is that when God created his very good world and and then sin came into it through Adam and Eve, which we talked a bit about last week, God didn't just walk away on his creation in that moment and be like, I'm done with you. No, he started a rescue plan. And one of the stages in this plan was to pull a certain people, a group of people apart to be God's special people, the people of Israel led by Moses. And in this moment, as he pulls them away, he gives them something called the law. And the law was to help people to know how to fix the problem of the fall. It was basically to create a standard, say, this is what God wants. This is what it looks like to live good and holy and perfect. And this is where you measure up to that. And so when the law was given, there was all these, there was hundreds of different commands and laws that God gave his people, but there were in particular 10 that God highlighted. And you all know this as the what? The Ten Commandments, right? And so we're going to look at the Ten Commandments because they actually have something to say to us about both work and rest. And so I want to ask you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, where we find the Ten Commandments. I'm flipping way too far forward. Exodus is right the next book over. Exodus, if you want to turn there, chapter 20 is where we're we're turning to. And in Exodus 20, God is coming and speaking to his people. He's pulled them out of slavery. He's pulled them out of the land of Egypt. And he's going to remind them of that and then give them these commands. Listen to what it says in verse 1 of chapter 20 of the book of Exodus. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. By the way, if you haven't read the story of how God did that, it's a pretty cool story. It's, it's earlier on. And then he starts in on the commands. Here's the, the first one in verse 3. Do not have other gods besides me. That's the first command. The second command. Do not make an idol for yourself. And it goes on, describes what an idol might look like. If you go down to verse 8, you'll see the fourth command, which I want to read with you. It says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the foreigner who is within your gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. That's what we just read about earlier in Genesis. Have you thought about how when we break one of God's commands, we typically don't just break one of them. There's actually a whole bundle of them that we break. And that's true, actually, of some of our issues with work. So the first command is, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, what I want to show you is that if we make work a God, and that's not too extreme to put it. We put lots of things above God in our lives. There's often times where we'll make a significant other or a hobby or money or whatever it may be, um, popularity. We can make that the most important thing in our lives. And sometimes we could put work as the most important thing in our lives. When we do that, we're breaking the first command, which is to have no other thing more important than God. 
If work is the most important thing to us, we've broken the first command, but we've also, in that instant, broken the second command, which is to not have an idol. Because an idol is anything that sits above God that gives us our identity, our worth, and our value. Think about that for a moment. An idol is something that gives us our identity, worth, or our value. And if we're looking to something like work to give us our identity, worth, and, and value, all of a sudden, if work is that thing, we've not only broken the first command, do not have other gods, the second command, do not um, have any idols, we've broken the fourth command as well. Because all of a sudden, if work is the most important thing, we're going to go, 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 and never stop to reflect, to, to rest and to reflect on who God is and what He's done for us. John Calvin the reformer said this, and this is a paraphrase of what he said, but man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. He said forge in his old English, that we are a place that we're we're constantly putting things as more important than God. We idolize work, productivity, success, and wealth. And that is very true culturally of America, modern America. There is a very strong tie between our productivity and our identity. As a culture, we just do that. One of the things that highlighted this for me a number of years ago, I was in my early 20s and I was in an airport. I don't remember where I was. But I remember very clearly being in a line. I can't remember if I was in a line to get on a plane or at a restaurant or somewhere. But behind me in the line was this huge, towering gentleman, an older guy, probably... I say older guy. He was a guy probably in his 60s. I was in my 20s. And uh, we were talking a little bit in the line, and we came to figure out we both had accents. I had an Australian accent. He had a British accent. And so we started talking a little bit. I came to find out this guy had been a rugby player for the English national team and had traveled all around the world. So we had you know, a bit of chatter about that. It was really interesting. But I came to find out this guy had lived most of his adult life after retiring from playing rugby in America and had become a very successful businessman. But one of the things he said to me stuck with me. He said this, if you can't make a million dollars here in America, you can't make it anywhere. And what he was articulating is the fact that he saw America as the epicenter of the God of work, where the worship of productivity is expected to bring success and wealth. We as a culture worship and idolize work. And we can easily look to work to be and our producing to be what gives us our worth and our value. But that is not what God wants for us. That's too great of a load for that our work to bear. Because ultimately, our work will disappoint us. Only God can give us our worth and our value. And so what does God do to keep us in right stead, to keep our priorities straight? He commands us to rest. He commands us to Sabbath. Now we've thrown out that word a little bit, Sabbath. What does that mean? If you were to look up that word Sabbath in a Hebrew Bible dictionary, the definition is very long. I just want to give you a couple of highlights from that. Here's a few things that it says. It says, to Sabbath is to desist from exertion, to cease, to put away, to put down, to rest, to be still. 
In fact, if we're wanting a definition, if we go back to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 10, it gives us a pretty good definition right here. It says, but on the seventh day, it's to be a Sabbath to the Lord. You must not do any work. And so I'd like to give us a working definition, and this is where I'd like to have the screen. But what I want you to think about is the Sabbath, to Sabbath means to cease from being productive and to connect with God and people. A Sabbath is a moment where we cease from being productive so that we can connect with God and people. Now, as I give you that definition, I imagine most of you are like, okay, I understand the ceasing from being productive, to stop working. But where does the connecting with God and people come from? Well, if you look at that verse 10, what it says is the Sabbath is to who? It is to the Lord. It's for us to stop our work so that we can can connect with God. But it also says there, this list, this long list of people and even livestock that is to, to stop working. And that's because God uses the Sabbath as a moment for us to connect with one another. The Sabbath is about ceasing from being productive so that we can connect with God and people. God gave the Sabbath to be a blessing. It's a day that's meant to be holy. That word holy, by the way, means to be set apart. And it's used several times in connections with this Sabbath concept. In Genesis 2, right where we started, verse 3, it says, God made or declared the Sabbath holy. And then in Exodus 20, verse 8, it says God's people are to keep it holy. So God started it being holy and set apart. And we're to continue that. The creation are to continue that. It's supposed to be a day that's lived at a different place, pace, and for our flourishing. A Sabbath is to remind us that it's ultimately God who provides and not our work. We get that backwards all the time, don't we? As humans, there is unfortunately the fact that we tend to make messes of God's gifts and blessings. And that's even true of the Sabbath. You see, the Sabbath can have a dark side. And I'd hate to say this, but personally, I've seen that. I grew up in a church setting where people prided themselves on their Sabbath keeping. And I know my upbringing is probably unique to a lot of you guys, but I grew up in a church setting where people prided themselves on their Sabbath keeping. It was a very legalistic thing where people would talk about strict rules about what you could do and what you couldn't do on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath. I heard people talking about whether it was okay to swim on the Sabbath or to watch television. And that may seem funny to some of you guys, but this was a real thing. People made it all legalistic. In some ways, similar to the Jews today and how they keep a Sabbath. They keep the Sabbath on a Saturday, as they have for thousands of years. And if you were to go to modern-day Israel and stay at a hotel, one of the hotels in that, in that place would be a Shabbat on a Saturday, a Shabbat elevator. Shabbat meaning Sabbath. Did you know this? And what it means is that that elevator will stop at every floor on the way up, open its doors, and then every floor on the way back down. And that's because if you're a Jew, it would be considered work to pull out your hand and press a button to make that elevator go up and down. It's crazy. This is what we do. Sadly, people have turned the Sabbath from being a blessing into being an obnoxious list of rules. And this isn't a new thing. This has been happening for quite some time. In fact, for a number of thousand of years, 
Because we know that even at the time of Jesus, this was already happening. You see, there's a story that you can find in Mark chapter 2 of when Jesus is walking on a Sabbath, a Saturday, through a grain field. And as he's walking through the grain field, there's some religious leaders there, and there's some of his disciples who are very hungry. And they start just pulling off some of the grains and eating that. And these religious people start to get really upset. They're really frustrated. They're like, Jesus, look, look what your disciples are doing. They shouldn't be doing that. It's the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, hold on, guys. You don't get it. What he says, these are his words. I'll quote from Mark chapter 2, verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. As in, it's not about impressing God with all your rules. It's meant to be a blessing, guys. The Sabbath is intended to be a blessing and not a burden. So this is where I want to just ask a question that I feel like is begging to be asked right now. And that is the question of, does God desire that you and I still keep a Sabbath? That we would Sabbath? And so to answer that, I'm going to take you to one final scripture, one final key scripture for us to read that's in the New Testament. It's in Hebrews chapter 4, if you want to turn there, which is way up the other end of your Bible. Hebrews chapter 4 is where I'm going to read, and I'm going to read from verse 9. The, the whole section here is talking about resting and Sabbath and all of that sort of thing. And it's interesting to note that we're now reading in the New Testament and so we're after, in fact, the time where Jesus has come, where the rescue plan has been revealed, where we know that Jesus is going to come as both God and man to die for the sins of the world, including our sins, everything that we've ever said, thought, or done that doesn't measure up to God's standard. So God's sent Jesus to die for our sins. He's been raised to life again to show that He's conquered sin, He's conquered death. And we're reading now what it says about resting and Sabbath. Read with me verse 9 of chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews. It says this, Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. Do not stop there. Read on to verse 10. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest. In the church circles that I grew up in, people would quote verse 9 by itself. And they would talk about the importance of keeping a legalistic Sabbath. They'd be like, well, look, verse 9 says, the Sabbath rest remains. But they were completely missing the point. In fact, that's exactly opposite the point of the point of this passage, because what it's talking about is the rest that we find in Jesus, not in keeping a legalistic set of rules. The rest that we, keep, that we find in Jesus from our efforts, our works, our energies to earn our salvation, because the truth is we can never measure up to God's law. No amount of rule keeping will do that. We need Jesus to do that for us. And so I want to ask you today, are you resting in Jesus? As in, do you know Jesus? Has He saved you from your brokenness and from your sin? Or are you trying to work and to earn God's approval and salvation? Being a Christian is not about working on being a good person. In fact, it's the opposite of that. A Christian is someone who owns the fact that they are not a good person. If you don't come to that moment where you say, I'm not good, 
You don't understand who Jesus is or what the gospel is. We all have to come to that moment where we realize we are not good and that we need Jesus to forgive us and to make us right with God. And when we have that moment, we rest. We Sabbath from our work of trying to earn God's approval and favor. We enter a true Sabbath rest. So does God desire that we Sabbath? Yes, absolutely. Exclamation marks, yes. God wants us to enter His rest today. And so the invitation's open. Some of you maybe it's clicking for the first time and you're like, okay, this is what the Christian message is about. It's not about measuring up or being a good person or attending church or whatever you else you may make it. It's actually about resting in Jesus and His work. Today, the invitation is open. You can pray. You can know God and be forgiven of your sins today. If you have thoughts or questions about that, man, I would love to have a conversation with you after the service about what that means. So that answers this question about the Sabbath in a spiritual sense. But the problem is I still haven't answered the question in a physical sense in that should we as Christians continue to keep a Sabbath, to have a time where we cease from being productive so that we can connect with God and with people? Should we do that? And my answer to that is a yes with an asterisk, okay? And, and I want to explain that a little bit. I say yes because God loves you. If you are His child, He delights in spending time with you. And so whenever you and I put down our work so that we can spend time connecting with Him, He loves it. It's a little bit like a, a child who would say, you know what, I'm not going to play with this stuff anymore. I'm going to put it to the side and come up and sit in my dad's lap. God loves that. He likes to connect with us. When we are intentional in spending time with us, there is something beautiful that happens. So rhythmically, if we say, God, I'm going to set aside time to rest in you, that, I believe, will have blessings and benefits. There will be an outcome that comes from that. As long as, and here's where the asterisk is, as long as we don't see that as a way to earn God's approval, for Him to like us more. He already loves you because of Jesus, not because of your rule keeping or your Sabbath keeping or whatever else. There is a blessing that comes from resting. When we rest in God, there's this beautiful reorganization that happens inside of our hearts. Perspective starts to come right again. When we say, you know what? It's been a really busy week and I have this huge long list of to-dos, but I'm going to rest so I can connect with God and with the people around me. What happens in that is God tends to start to help us to see things right again, to see what's most important, to reprioritize in a way that honors Him. There is something beautiful happens that when we Sabbath. And so if we're not already keeping some sort of Sabbath, I want to challenge those of you who believe in Jesus today to think about what would it look like for you to keep some sort of Sabbath? And what sort of blessing would come if you were to do that? And this is the question, the point where everybody's like, okay, yeah, but, but how? Like, what would that actually look like? This is where we need each of us to ask God to help us to figure out what that could and should look like because we are a very diverse room. 
as we were singing earlier, I was thinking about the fact that Sabbath is going to look very different for a bunch of eighth grade boys from Dolstrom to somebody who's in their retirement years, right? Like there's, there's a lot of variety in this room of people. And so we need God to help us to understand. I can tell you personally what a Sabbath looks like for me. You see, as somebody who grew up around all of those strict rules, there was part of me that wanted to rebel from that. And yet, as I came into my 20s, my late teen years and my 20s, I started to think and say, okay, God, this is in your word. There seems to be some biblical principles here of blessing for setting apart and resting and connecting with you and people. What is this to look like? And so over the years, I've actually moved from seeing the Sabbath as a drudgery to seeing it as a blessing. What I keep now, just this is me personally, is by and large, Saturday is my Sabbath day. Sunday is not a rest day ever. Um, And so Saturday is my rest day. And what I do on that rest day is I try not to be productive. And so if you come over to my house, I won't be washing my car or mowing my lawn or answering emails because I am endeavoring to rest. Now, I try not to be legalistic about that. In fact, just last Saturday, not yesterday, but a week ago, we had an event where we were reaching out to the community and we were doing stuff on Saturday afternoon. I went and I participated because I felt like there was a value to that. But by and large, Saturday is my day for doing that. I have a friend who takes a Sabbath on Thursdays, because that works best with his, his schedule. I know another couple that do Tuesday afternoon and evening, because that is the best time on their schedule. She works shifts, and that was the best time for them to work, uh, to have a Sabbath together. I just want to encourage us to try it out, and maybe to start small. Maybe you're like, hey, I just need to set aside an afternoon or an evening that we're going to rest and connect with God and not try to be productive. Maybe you set aside a whole day. But I want to encourage you to try it out. Keeping a Sabbath will help you to not idolize work and productivity. Remember, that's what the culture around us is doing. It's idolizing work and productivity. Keeping a Sabbath will also help you to live at a healthy and sustainable pace where you don't burn out and burn up. Keeping a Sabbath will help you to stay out of that ditch of burnout. I believe we can actually be more productive by Sabbathing than if we don't. I really believe that. By taking a time to say, you know what, I'm going to rest, I'm going to recharge, I believe that God then blesses those other six days that we're working. And if you don't believe that's true, maybe you should just try it out. Say, God, I'm going to try this. I'm going to set aside a day to rest, to connect with you and with the people around me, and then I'm going to go hard at those other six days. See what God would do with that. The resting, in resting, God empowers us to work better those other days. I do believe that. One of the heroes, heroes for me, from the 1800s, and a guy that was hugely productive in his Christian walk and lifetime is a guy named Charles Spurgeon. We could list out all the books and all the papers and all the sermons that he had written. But listen to what he says. He says this, rest time is not waste time. It is economy to gather fresh strength. It is something that God uses to give us fresh strength. And so I really want to challenge us today, and this is where I'm going to leave you, to not idolize work and productivity, but rather to be people 
who rest and trust in Jesus and rest and trust in God so that we glorify God in both our working and our resting. Let's pray together.